Welcome to the Godfather Chronicles. My name is Miguel Garcia and I am your host. Through this podcast, I want to share my experiences in life, parenting, business, marriage, or anything else I could help you with. My goal is to try to bring as much value as possible so that uh, you could apply this life lessons of mine and either avoid my mistakes or improve on on the concepts that I'm going to share with you. My uh, life is has been a very full life, um, and I'm looking forward to many, many, many more years of uh, great experiences. But I've been married for 36 years. My wife and I had 15 children, 13 alive right now. I built six businesses. I'm on my seventh. Uh, natural choice company which is sponsoring this podcast is the latest company and uh, i'm excited to do this particular business with my wife as my partner because as you probably guess my wife had had been raising children for the last 30 some years and so she was she's she has been a homemaker and um sort of you know taking care of the family well I go out and kill stuff and bring it home and eat it. Um, it's been an interesting uh, 36 years. I think we've gone through a lot of adversity, especially you know losing our son Rafael in 2007 at the tender age of seven years old. He got diagnosed with with cancer with a, a brain tumor. And in September of 2006, and he went to be with the Lord on January 1, 2007. But it was a wonderful experience that we that we went through with with, with our, our entire family. Um, I wrote a book about it. It's on the Natural Choice Company website. It's, it's free if you guys want to download it, so then you could understand what we went through and how we dealt with with uh, what appears to be um, a very heavy cross. But uh, again, you know, God is so merciful and so wonderful that he took He took us under his wing and um, protected us and, and showed us the way and showed us that um, he wanted Raphael to be with him. Um, regarding the, 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 the business, um, you know, uh, I started a, um, a business with two partners in, back in 2000 and 2002, and we sold it in 2017. We had a, a string of retail stores throughout the country, and we also built a ammo manufacturing business. We had a bunch of um, gun retail stores, and um, in 2017, we sold the um, tactical gear business, the retail stores. We had 24 stores, and then um, my two partners bought me out, out of the other two businesses, and so um, went through a lot of uh, interesting experiences that um, I'd be willing to share with you in um, the in this podcast. So anyway. I'm, I'm going to start this by um, introducing myself and, and giving you a little bit of uh, background because to know is to love.
And, you know, a lot of times we see people and we don't know what they're going through or what they've been through, and we judge them. And so it is important for me to to tell you about my life a little bit. I don't want to get too deep into it because, you know, I'm a very private person, but um, I want to be able to share the, the, um, the happy moments, the sad moments, the moments of adversity, and how we conquer those. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to myself. So my friends, I was born in Mexico. Um, very, very poor. Um, my dad um, was a sales a salesman for Remington Rand, and he used to sell typewriters and things like that to 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 make things happen. I uh, come from a family of nine, and so the whole house together it was you know eleven of us. Um, back in uh, the early seventies, actually nineteen seventy one, my dad couldn't couldn't sustain uh, the lifestyle that we had, even though there was no, it was very poor lifestyle. And he had, he mortgaged the house and he came to the States. Um, five years after that, um, my mom came to visit in 1976. And then um, when she came back from her trip, uh, she said, hey, your dad wants us to move out here. So we're gonna start doing whatever we can to get the visas. So at that time, I was like, there's no way we're going to get a visa. I mean, it's just all of us and all that stuff. We don't have a lot of money or whatever. And uh, sure enough, man, we got the visa. <laughs> um, I was disappointed because all my life, you know, you have been, you built your life, your friendships in, in your own country. And now we had to move. So um, June 9th of 1977, we came to the States. Um, I had a scholarship uh, that would take me from, you know, um, high school and to any career that I would want in, in a very prestigious uh, university. And so uh, my parents decided that um, uh, they would send me back to Mexico and live with my grandparents for a while and while I attended school and and because it was a very prestigious university and so um, they thought it was going to be a waste of an opportunity if I didn't take advantage of that so my mom has been my well my mom more than anything has been very uh, very strict with me and all that stuff and so when I when I went back Instead of going to school, I got a job and I started hanging out, hanging around with a bunch of guys, um, you know, change soccer teams from my neighborhood to a different neighborhood and started hanging around with all kinds of stupid people. And uh, my mom found out and, and she told me, she says, hey, uh, why don't you come over for Christmas break and then you go go back afterwards you know you never seen snow it's beautiful blah 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 so i'm like okay so i flew in and um when my mom went to pick me at the airport i had long hair you know my mom we always had short hair and um three well like i went back like in august so september october november December, four months i grew my hair and um my mom was looking for me at the airport and 
she sort of passed by me. She, she didn't recognize me. So as soon as I said, Mom, she looked over and she goes, instead of, hi, son, how are you? It's like, you're getting your hair cut as soon as we get home. And I'm like, okay, it's nice seeing you, Mom, basically. And um, so, you know, came home and spent Christmas and I'm going, okay, Mom, when am I going back? When am I, go when am I going back? And she's like, you're not going anywhere, man. You're staying here. And I'm like, but my school, I got in my career, and I started doing the drama stuff. And, and my mom says, there's no freaking way you're going anywhere. And my mom doesn't swear. So I knew she was for real. Uh, so anyway, so uh, she goes, as a matter of fact, we have a, an appointment for you on Monday at the local high school. So you're going to join the, you, you're going to join high school. So I'm like, okay. I spoke no English whatsoever, just a little bit, and um, my interview with the with the principal was kind of a, a joke because I didn't understand anything he was saying. But anyway, they threw me in there, and we lived in a, you know in a white neighborhood, so my dad would not would not live in a Hispanic neighborhood because he was concerned about the the gangs and that they would recruit me or I would join the gang or whatever. But uh, my dad kind of, I guess he knew me. Uh, so we lived in a white neighborhood. So all school was white. I mean, very few um, uh, just Hispanics, maybe two or three that I knew. And um, no African-Americans. And so it was kind of tough, you know. Um, I didn't join a white gang, but I got my butt kicked by white gangs. And got chased around and all sorts of things. So it was an interesting um first year in high school um, I got robbed a couple times and anyway so, so my world was turned upside down but little by little I started adjusting because I, I realized that there's no way I'm gonna go back right so I started adjusting then I met my uh, wife's family they um, they moved from Guatemala and they, li they lived about a block and a half away from me. And then the Puerto Rican family moved about another block away. And all of a sudden I had people that I could, you know, sort of relate to and and hang around. So that was kind of a, uh, my early, early years. Uh, that was, was 15, 16 years old. Then um, interesting thing, though, um, when we came to the States, my dad lived in a one-bedroom apartment in the basement. And uh, it was nine of us living in a one-bedroom apartment. One bath, really small kitchen. And the sleeping arrangements were that uh, the, my sisters would sleep in the living room. They had a sofa bed, my parents in the bedroom. And the boys would sleep on the floor in the common area or the laundry. And so, you know, about eight, nine o'clock, nobody's doing laundry. So we open up the door and lay down the carpet and sleep on the floor. Um, for my dad, it was a little embarrassing, but he was so happy that, that we were together. That um, he, he told me, he goes, you know, we're going to work our butts off. I promise you I'm going to work overtime and we're going to get out of this apartment. So... Uh, I was 16, and I said, well, can, can you give me a job there? I, he worked at Zenith, and he got me a job. The only problem was it was the only 
job available was in the third shift. So I would start at 11 o'clock p.m. and get out at 7 o'clock and then drive about 40 minutes back home and go to school. So I did that for about eight months, but the pay was good. Uh, it was a union job, and so um, I was making like $6 an hour back then, and that's 1978. And um, 79, something like that. But anyway, I was making good money, so we started saving money. And I was my mom working, my dad, and myself. And then my younger brother started working too. So we started pulling our money together and we were able to um, buy, get a, enough money for a down payment and then buy a house with my uncle. So um, we moved out of the one bedroom apartment and now everybody had the room, they had rooms. You know, we were sharing it with brothers and sisters, but you know, bunk beds and things like that, but it was better than sleeping on the floor. So um, even, even, Back then, I mean, I wanted to um, get better. I I started looking at uh, life in, in, in the United States and, and, and the possibilities and really understood that this was the land of opportunity. All you have to do is to work hard. That's all. And, and opportunity just shows up. Um, so I was in high school and at that time and things weren't going well we started getting more more hispanics into the school and you know gangs spanish gangs started showing up and recruiting and things like that and got into a few fights with guys that wanted to recruit me and i didn't want to join the gang and i didn't want to join the join the gang because to me it didn't make sense um, I didn't want to be with a bunch of guys that that uh, said they were my family and they would get in trouble, they would do drugs and steal and do stuff that I wasn't taught to do. And so I started getting a lot of peer pressure and to do drugs and, and, and to hang out with these people and I told my parents I'm going to quit school. So I quit high school. So I am a high school dropout. I went. I went back uh, to got a job, a day job, and then in the evenings I was going to school to get my GED. I got my GED. Then um, I got a new job working at a factory with my uncle, and I was there for about a year. And a position opened up. Um, this is 1980. A position in the computer room, they call it, opened up. This lady was expecting, she was a computer operator for an IBM mainframe machine. And they said, you know, anybody who's interested, apply and, you know, we'll send you to school. So I apply and I got the job and they sent me to school. So I was going to college, the community college for, for a while there. And uh, the, the company said, hey, we'll pay for your school here if you, if you want uh a career in computers. And this is, again, 1980, where the PC was just coming out. And I was learning about com computers back then. So it was pretty impressive, needless to say, with the, uh, with the girls and, and the parents that to, to, to say, hey, what, what do you do? Well, I work with computers. And like, wow, you must be pretty smart, you know? Um, 
and that helped me with my my wife and my mother-in-law. Uh, <laughs> she was very impressed. So um, I became a computer operator and then a um, junior programmer, then a programmer, and then I finally um, got laid off in 1992 and I was a, a computer uh, programmer analyst. Um, I got laid off um, because we got bought out and they were going to move from mainframe computers to to networks, to PC networks. So I got laid off. I got a year of severance pay and I went back to school and I got my um, Novell Network certificate. And so I was able to work on on, on, on PCs and, and um, you know, build networks and things like that. So that was kind of exciting. Well, back then, um, there was a lot of stuff going on. Um, I got, you know, I started dating Dora and, and I knew she was the one. I knew the, that she was the one that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And so, you know, we got, we started going out. I, I went and asked my father-in-law if I could date her. And, you know, he he told me, yes, you can. But, you know, you be careful. If you mess with my daughter, I'll kill you, basically. That was interesting. Um, then I, took about a, we dated for about a year and a half or two. And then um, I asked for her hand. And, and I, I didn't. My parents did. It was very formal. My, my parents had to go and meet their parent, her parents, and ask for her hand for me. And my father-in-law looked at me and says, when do you want to get married? I think maybe it was October or something like that, or September. And I said, well, you know, January or whatever. He goes, no, no, no. You're going to get married in June of next year. I'm like, okay. So we got married in um, June 16, 1984. Um, beautiful um, event, the best thing that ever happened in my life. Um, the fact that I got to share my life with uh, such a wonderful woman, it's amazing, you know. Uh, it's God's blessing, definitely. Um, God definitely likes me. Because, <laughs> you know, to have such a quality, such caliber of a woman, like Dora is, it's amazing. I, I really, truly don't deserve her. But anyway, so we um, right away we're expecting and my daughter Michelle, and then every two years we had a child, basically. And so things started getting hard because obviously you know children are expensive, and Dora had a lot of. Um, she was a very petite woman, very, very small, and she had a lot of problems with the first pregnancy, and so she spent um, weeks in the hospital uh, during the first pregnancy, and it got very expensive, so I had a lot of bills. And so I tell people that I was working as a programmer during the day. I had to wear a shirt and tie. They would prefer I wear a suit. This was the 80s. I mean, you had to dress up, you know. And... During the day, I'm wearing my shirt and tie and all sorts of things. And then I got a part-time job at night uh, cleaning a factory. Uh, I remember I had a crew, 
and you know, the lady would go clean the offices and vacuum and things like that. And, and me, the guy, I had to go, you know, mop floors, sweep floors, clean toilets. And I would detest that so much, man. You go to these factory bathrooms and it's like somebody, every single day, somebody had diarrhea or some shit like that. Quote, unquote. <laughs> Uh, my God, man, I'm cleaning these toilets and I'm about to puke and I'm going, what am I doing? What am I doing? You know, it's like, you're a programmer, dude. I mean, you're an office guy. Now you're cleaning shit out of the toilets. But the fact that uh, um, it was um, a job that, that, that was paying me good and it was allowing me to get out of debt and, um, you know, live an honorable life, you know. Um, it, it's an honest earning and... And, you know, I, again, I was getting out of debt and, and he was paying the bills and helping me get, get along. So from then on, I held several part-time jobs throughout, you know, my early years of marriage because I needed to get ahead and pay the bills and get ahead. Um, I was a waiter for about almost a year or two and I liked that better than cleaning toilets. Um, made some good money, started getting to know people and how do you, you know, how, you know, customer relations and, and things like that and, and, and make sure that I turned on the charm and got good tips and things like that. So that was awesome. Then I did, <clears throat> excuse me, I did real estate um, work with, with, with a real realtor. I also did uh, um, taxes. I had to drive to the Hispanic community and help them uh, with English and things like that and, and do their taxes. So I've always, always had two jobs. And I never, I don't recall regretting that. I mean, that's the life I chose. I wanted to give my family a good life. And so I was going to sacrifice myself. That was my deal, uh, but it, it, it has always been that. I don't mind sacrificing myself for my family. I find that very um, rewarding and honorable because I am the head of the household. I am the, the, um, the man of the house and I am no wuss. And so I'm not gonna let my wife, you know, go out and, and do what I'm what I'm supposed to be doing that was kind of a uh, my uh, my deal you know and you know having a household with three four five children it's a lot of work it's not easy task and so um, I had to do what I had to do anyway so meanwhile I started you know going out a little more with my so-called friends and started drinking a little too much and and things started falling apart with a lot of our friends and families and people were getting divorced um, started being some of some had some really serious alcohol issues and things like that and so I realized that the environment wasn't good for me because I I thought that I was gonna end up like them so I had the conversation with Dora and I said you know if you really want to we really want to change it's not going to be here we need to move out of here so um, she agreed and we 
started making plans to move out of Chicago and in 1995 we moved to Kansas. You might wonder why Kansas? So during uh, 90, 1992, 1993, I went to uh, a spiritual retreat and it's called the Ignatian Retreat and it's a, a five, six day retreat. It's silent. Uh, so you go to to conferences and then you do meditations and things like that and you have consultations with the priest and so um, I went to confession and I was talking to a priest and he says you know you got to get out of Chicago otherwise you know you're going to lose your soul and your children are going to lose their souls and you, you know this is in jeopardy blah, blah blah so I met a bunch of guys that were from St. Mary's there and one of the guys said hey I'm selling my house and I'm like, okay, what kind of house is it? Because we, 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 we owned a house, um, and it was a, a one-bedroom, no, I'm sorry, a one-bathroom home with three bedrooms. And so this guy told me, well, you know, my house is five bedrooms, two, two baths, full baths, and uh, it's in one-third of an acre. It's just beautiful. And I said, oh, really? How much is it? And he goes, 60000 And I'm like, crap, man. My house was $125,000. I was paying like $700 in taxes or $800 in taxes. And I started doing the math and, and so we came to Kansas to see the house. And I started pricing car insurance and all sorts of things. And I was like, man, I, I can make it. I can make it out there. So I moved first, got a job as a um, network operator for a manufacturing company. Then um, I moved in with uh, two guys. Uh, so here's a, a mature man with two young guys and uh, the way they're living was not the way I'm used to live. My, my Dora is extremely clean. She is very tidy and, and neat and everything else and so with being a bachelor again with two guys wasn't cutting it for me. So anyway, so I had Dora move with the kids and we put a house for sale and we left it there and the realtor was going to take care of it. And we moved into a trailer home. I had never seen a trailer home in my life. And I moved into a trailer home and it was horrible. Um, it was just, it was just bad. We had no air conditioning. And Dora was expecting, and she had a miscarriage, and it was it was it was, it was a pretty tough uh, summer, you know. So we went out and got some window air conditioning and things like that for that. But we moved into the trailer until the the, the house in in Kansas, well, the house in Chicago closed, and we closed on the house in uh, Kansas. So that took about three months. So from June to September, uh, we lived in the trailer home. It was horrible. We went through uh, several storms. You know, typical Kansas storms, and they were scary. They were scary. I thought that trailer was going to just fly out of there, like in the movies. But um, so when I came from Chicago, um, I was in Chicago. I was making forty-four thousand dollars a year, which what translates to twenty-two dollars an hour or something like that. And I moved to. Kansas and my pay was $11 an hour but I had, we had no debt whatsoever and so that helped out a lot then um, worked there for about a year then I moved to um, 
Another company was a telecommunications training company, and they were growing like crazy. And they would, they would um, teach technology courses like technology, like the internet, when it was first starting. Um, also, uh, any telephone um, technologies like, well, you won't know this, but it's called SS7 protocols and and uh, um, the early internet technologies um, you know uh, broadband and uh, what the hell was that other thing I can't remember but you know early early technologies and they were teaching it to all the telephone companies and um, we were growing pretty fast so when I when I when I got hired they hired me to do a certain job and I started mastering that job and, and and then i was said okay i'm done with this you know i got this under control you guys need anything else and they're like oh my god okay well, nobody asked for that miguel but if you want more work here it is so they would give me another uh, type of work or whatever and i would sort of master that and and they realized that that i was good at problem solving and they um they gave me a huge um, responsibility with managing their calendar for uh, the instructors. So the instructors would teach courses in several parts of the country and we would have to schedule them and then do all the logistics to fly in there, hotels, cars, everything. And then after the two-day class or whatever, they had to fly to another state for another class or whatever. So it was a, it was a uh, um, really tough um uh, job because you had to work on, on a schedule and the lady that was working on it she had a whiteboard and so she was you know handwriting everything and all sorts of things so they go hey you know she's leaving she's getting married um, we want you to take that off to take that over which I did but I, I said to them I said okay I'll take this nightmare over if you give me the right tools you give me the resources and the tools. And they're like, okay, what do you want? And I said, oh, I want a programmer because I'm going to automate this thing. And they're like, okay. So I got a programmer and I told him what I wanted done. And the, the programmer, very smart guy, he became my business partner after that. But um, we designed a, an electronic calendar that would, based on the instructor's zip code in the seminar zip code, would, would send whoever was closest to that seminar. So we were saving money at the same time and um, uh, not overtaxing the, the, the instructors because sometimes this gal was flying a guy from New York to Los Angeles to teach a class and that was just dumb, I think. And it was very expensive anyway. Um, so after that, I started noticing that I was good at solving problems. I, I could look at something complex and then break it down and then you fix it. So. The first year, I tripled my salary working for them. And the owner was very entrepreneurial. And he would go, hey, Miguel, if you help us save money, I'll give you a percentage. And I'm like, okay, where's the problem? They're like, well, you know, we're flying these instructors all over the place. And it's expensive. They're booking their tickets. And, and some sometimes they don't respect the, the uh, budget. And, you know, we can't argue with them because they'll get mad, they'll quit, whatever. So he goes, you want to take that? And I'm like, okay, so what's the bonus? And he's like, okay, well, we'll give you, you know, 10%, whatever you save. I'm like, okay, done. 
again, I told them, you're going to give me the resources. You're going to let me do this, right? And they're like, okay. So I created my own travel agency. I hired two travel agents. I did a contract with a national car rental and had him um, give me the Emerald Isle for all of the instructors. This is back then. This is in 2000. No, it was 1998 or 99 or something like that. And so I negotiated a really good rate and the, and the instructors basically would pick their car and uh, through national. So that was that was pretty cool. And they, they, they had to book the tickets through our travel agency. So our travel agents would look at the best deal for the company and would, they would compromise with the instructor. So the first year we saved like $250,000. So I had this really good bonus and I was like, wow, man, this is good. I mean, if I start figuring things out and, and, and you know, getting the results, I'm going to make a lot more money. So then you have, we had the 9-11 uh, um, um, and all travel stopped after that. Uh, there were no more classes, no anything. And so our company went from, you know, $44 million or whatever in revenue to like nothing. Uh, I had 120 people under me, and I had to let go all of them except one. Then in uh, 2002, I think, my boss told me, he goes, um, you got to lay off this other guy. And I'm like, no, man, you know, I can't do that. And then he's like, well, it's either you or him. And I said, well, give me a, give me a, few, a, a few days here. I'm going to figure something out. And I, but then I had more confidence in me. I knew that I could, that I could figure complex things out if I simplified them. So I sort of had a system in my head. And so I went out and um, I got a job as, as a, a consultant uh, doing um, sales for um, a training company. And so this guy was just growing his company and he, and I said, well, you know, I need, several states as my territory, I could do this, blah, blah, blah. I've never done anything like this. Um, I did some level of sales in the uh, Spanish uh, countries with, with, the, with this company. I helped some of the salespeople, but never um, dial for dollars. And so uh, my, my uh, commission was pretty, pretty good. Uh, I would get 10% of whatever um, I sold but I had to get at least 10 students in the class. So what I did, you know, I came up with my, um, with uh, um, my cheat sheet and, and I had a script and I was selling in states like Iowa, you know, rural Illinois, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, Arizona, and it, and I knew I had to make a hundred phone calls to get 10 closes. So for me, it was just a numbers game. I'm like, okay, I gotta hit, you know, hundred calls. And I started practicing and calling and calling. And all of a sudden I was making over six figures um, pretty quickly. And so I'm like, okay, this is another um, skill that I've learned, which is sales. 
Um, by then, my my uh, my uh, good friend was starting a business, and he was in a tactical um, selling tactical gear. He goes, "Man, you you're pretty good at this sales stuff. Uh, can you help me with this? Because I'm a programmer. I'll build the website. I'll do all the you know card stuff and all that stuff, the e-commerce. But I need somebody to answer the phone, answer questions, upsell, blah blah blah." And I'm like, "Okay." So I was doing two jobs. I was doing the the um, training company and I was also um, answering the phone and doing up sales and things like that. This, this field of tactical gear, it was very foreign to me because, you know, I live in Chicago and it's very anti-gun, very anti-everything. And in this field, I was talking to officers, I was talking to soldiers and they're asking me questions about a scope and all sorts of things. And so I had to learn real quick. Um, and I got really good at it. And then I started doing, um, figuring out contracts with the government and I got into the DLA and, uh, the DOD and I started getting larger, con larger contracts in 2004 where our Marines went to Fallujah, um, two months before that, I got a call and, uh, it was a lieutenant and he was the, the purchasing guy for the brigade. And the brigade is about, you know, 3,000 or 3,500 uh, soldiers. And so he said, hey, I need, he gave me a list of things. He goes, can you quote me? And I said, I will quote you. This is a lot of stuff, but you have to go with me. And I said, I'm not going to do all this work, and then you're going to go shop it. And he goes, dude, I really need this. He goes, if you could get this stuff, you got the deal. And he was stoked stuff outside my scope like we were selling um you know boots um slings lanyards holsters things like that and this guy wanted socks uh, jumping suits um you know underwear um i mean just all sorts of things outside our scope uh, gloves and, and, and things like that and I'm going he goes can you get this stuff and I'm like yes so I did a list I started checking prices out and I gave him what I thought it was going to be a decent price um, and, and this was for retail I was looking at retail prices and so um, then I figured out who the, who the manufacturers were and I called them up and I said, look, I got a big order here and I'm gonna do this and blah, blah, blah. And I negotiated a, even a better price. So anyway, so the order started at about $50,000. And by the time um, we finished with everything, cause he'd been going, hey, I'm gonna add this to the list. I'm gonna add this to the list. And now yeah, I had to do flashlights. I had to do um, just so, all sorts of things. That, 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 again, we're outside my scope. And, but, but I had the confidence that, that I could figure it out. You know, I didn't panic or anything like that. I'm just like, okay, I, I'll, I'll figure it out. And so, um, long story short, we, our order ended up being like $450,000. It's almost half a million dollars. Now the problem was I had to pay all of my vendors in order for them to ship the, the goods. So I had to get like $200,000. And so um, I called the lieutenant and I said, look, you got to give me a down payment. This is a huge order. You got to give me a down payment. And he goes, we don't do down payments on orders. And I said, well, 
I really need one. I said, if, if you can't give me the down payment, I don't think we're going to be able to do this. And by that time, he was totally vested. I mean, he, he had been working with me for a couple of weeks. And, and he's like, I need this right away. I need this right away. So there was a lot of sense of urgency. So I said, well, we'll talk to your guys. Talk to your supervisor, to your, to your boss, and let me know if uh, you guys could do a down payment, but I need $200,000. So, man, he comes back. He goes, all right, we'll wire you the money. So they wired me $200,000. So I pay the vendors to get the, the orders out, and uh, I was able to um, get that out for them. And then he disappeared for about six weeks. So I couldn't get the rest of the money because he wasn't around. He wasn't answering emails. He wasn't answering calls or anything like that. So I started sweat, sweating bullets. And I started going up to the chain of command. And then somebody told me, he says, well, the reason why he's not talking to you is not that he's ignoring you. He's in Fallujah. And um, so the, the um, Battle of Fallujah ended up being as one of the... Um, epic uh, battles of, of our Marines and I was part of that you know I outfitted the brigade that, that went in there and I was like wow man this is so awesome so it's awesome so he he come he came out and apologized you know and and paid me and so I remember going to the bank and depositing my share of the, of, of the um, profit and the bank teller looked at me like what the hell is this guy doing with this check you know i was depositing twenty five thousand dollar checks and um <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's interesting so i'm like man you could do this you could go into a large scale now you did this i mean this was really hard and so he gave me more confidence and so i'm i'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you something guys um you need to have confidence in yourself. If you look at a problem and you start going, well, I don't know what to do, and then you start looking at all the negatives, then yes, you're gonna have a problem. But if you look at, at, a, at an issue, a problem, a challenge, and you go, okay, how am I gonna fix this? So again, it, it's the questions that you ask, the quality questions you ask yourself, the quality answers you're gonna get, right? So I would ask myself the question, okay, how am I gonna figure this out? And then I wouldn't have any issues with like, but what am I going to do without the money? What am I going to know? It's one thing at a time. Can I source this out? Can I figure out who makes this? Yes. Okay, cool. Second thing, talk to them, tell them, you know, about the size of the order and then get terms. And then it's so one thing at a time. And, and, and instead of looking at the, at the um, big picture going, oh my God, this guy went from $50,000 to $450,000. This order went to that. And, and so I don't look at it that way. I break things down. Uh, one of my core values is simplicity. And simplicity means to me that there's nothing um, so daunting that I can't do by breaking it down into smaller chunks. And then you work your ass off one chunk at a time. And that's how you eat the elephant, right? One bite at a time. And so that's, that's what I do. So if you take anything out of this podcast today, um, this episode is don't look at the big picture of the big problem. Focus on the solution and, and, and break it down into manageable chunks and then start getting some wins and, and you get through it. So I've been applying that, that a concept since 
since back then, and I, I applied to everything. Like for instance, in 2006, we brought a, a second partner into the venture because um, I had an appointment at the military base and I went out there and I noticed that right outside the base there was a, a cleaners going out of business. And I took the number down, you know, you had one of those things, you know, that you go, hmm, I might be able to use that. So I went to the meeting with the lieutenant colonel and, and he needed all this gear. And I said, what if I put a store outside the base? Would you send your guys out there shopping? He goes, hell yeah. I'm like, cool. I'll, I'll get, the, get this done. My, my partner was looking at me like, what the hell is wrong with you, man? And so I got on my cell phone, called the realtor. I said, meet me there in an hour. So we met the, the, the realtor and he told me what the price of the building was. And I said, okay, write up the contract. And my partner's like, the hell, man, you know, what do we know about retail? What do we know about this? And I'm like, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. Sure enough, we got, we got the building and we got it, the building and remodeling it. And what, while we were remodeling it, um, I went out and I got three books on how to, how to run a retail store. And that's how I figured it out. Uh, my, my partner wrote the program, the, the POS program. And it was just cool because um, he, back then, you know, 2006, he put, he, put, he put a feature that where we would get a text every time we, we, um, we uh, rang a sale. So we, we knew how much money was going into the till. And, you know, we could see how many orders we had during the day and all sorts of things. It was, it was really cool. Um, so that was that was um, May of 2006. September 2006, um, a person from outside, inside the base came out to my store and I noticed that this person was wearing like dress pants and I'm like, that's not a soldier and that's not a contractor. So he's one of those business guys inside the base. So I said, hey, how you doing? And he's like, fine. And I said, uh, you're shopping me? And he just freaked out, looked at me and he goes, well, Yes and no. And I'm like, okay, what's up? What can I help you with? And he goes, um, well, would you like to open a store inside the base? And I said, yeah. And he goes, okay, so I'll bring you some paperwork and we'll go over it and I'll help you because I need a store like this inside the base. So that's, I mean, I didn't know anything about contracts with the government. I mean, this type of contracts where you have a retail space inside the base and all sorts of things. And so I'm like, Yes, let's do it. I'll figure it out. So um, we opened up our second store inside the retail, inside inside the base. Once I, I did that, I'm going, okay, let's figure out how many bases are there. Can we do this in a large scale? And so, you know, uh, fast forward to that, you know, 15 years and we had 24 retail stores. We had stores in Hawaii. Uh, New York, Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado, Kansas, obviously, uh, Louisiana, Florida, I mean, just Washington State, just everywhere. And uh, we we got acquired in 2017, so we sold uh, the business. And But before that, um, my partners are big gun guys and they're like, man, you know, we wish we could sell guns. And I said, well, let's do a, some gun stores. And they're like, well, you, you want to, we got to figure it out. I'm like, yeah, let's figure it out. So we figured it out. And 
we uh, got our FFL licenses and things like that. And um, we had four uh, gun stores. And when on the Obama years where um, the ammo shortage happened, was it 2013, I think, or 14 or whatever it was, um, we couldn't get ammo for nothing, man. So you can't sell guns if you don't have ammo, right? And so I told my partners, why don't we um, build our ammo facility, ammo manufacturing? They're like, no, man, you know, what do you mean? We don't know anything about ammo manufacturing. I'm like, well, we'll figure it out. Sure enough, man, we figured it out. And um, the uh, Angel Fire Ammunition still in business and doing very well now. Um, so uh, when we got acquired, we got acquired by a... Um, a company that owns um, uniform uh, manufacturing for law enforcement company and uh, they wanted to get into the military so they bought us out and uh, they said we don't want anything to do with guns or ammo or anything like that because they were East Coast people um, and they didn't want to deal with guns and so um, we cut off the, the, the retail business that they want, sold it to them and then we kept the other two uh, businesses and they hired me to run the company and so my two partners they like you know you're not going to be working with us or anything like that you're going to be doing that gig and um, so they bought me out of the, those other two businesses and I was running the company and I was doing pretty good my um, first year of um, running the company by myself with, with the new with, with the guys that acquired us uh, our EBITDA jumped quite a bit and they were very impressed and so they asked me to stay and they said you could do whatever you want as long as you keep producing the numbers um, you know you have a job here so I'm like, okay but then my mentor but my boss uh, who was the CEO left the company and I got some young guy that liked people to kiss his ass and I'm not a kiss asser or ass kisser <laughs> either one um, so we we started butting heads and I told the guy I said you're fucking arrogant man I mean I'm not gonna deal with this shit I'm just not I mean I don't have to kiss your ass and and, and apparently he didn't like that for some reason but anyway so um, I started thinking about well I better do something else then I started listening to Ed and Andy uh, their podcast and and it really dawned on me that I wanted to retire and my goal was to retire at age 55 so I sold we sold the company um, September 12 2017 and I was going to turn 55 on September 29th of that year so I accomplished that goal and I was like okay Paid off my mortgage, went to the bank, you know, paid off the mortgage and all sorts of things. And I'm going, okay, we're going to live. I told my wife, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to be able to live a comfortable life now. No debt, nothing. We just got you know, extra money and all sorts of things. Then I realized that I caught myself. We're going to live a comfortable life. That kind of bothered me. I kind of brushed it off and all that stuff. But then started listening to Ed and Andy and I'm, I realized, man. You're shortchanging your family. You still have a lot of gas in the tank. You could do other things. So um, I talked to my wife about it, and I said, why don't we start a business? And um, we had 
started a business in 2004, natural products. But then my other business, Patriot Offitor, started taking off. So I told my wife, I can't manage both right now because this is taking off. Um, you know, we're, we're opening two stores, three stores every year, and, and it's just crazy. Um, so now that I that I was able to um, you know, sold the company, had money and all sorts of things, I was able to to look at, uh, at the business again and we decided that we were going to launch Natural Choice Company, which is sponsoring this podcast. And so here we are, man. You know, this is um, my seventh business and I, I see myself doing probably a couple more businesses that I have in my mind. And I think that um, we, we're going to do really well on, on all of this. Um, our goal now has changed. Our why has changed. It's not about my family anymore. Still is, but we have three charities, four charities that we, we really want to help. And uh, we're inspired by that. Also, um, we want to help people with the natural products. You know, um, our son, Rafael, died of uh, a cancerous brain tumor and we changed our diet totally completely we got we got rid of soda we got rid of the microwave all the uh, processed foods the canned foods i mean just cleaned up our diet really really quick and, and we noticed a change um, we started reading the labels on all the products that we were um uh, consuming even you know body care products i mean you look at the deodorants and things like that and, and it's all, they're poisoning us man and so um we decided that we we're going to stop that you know as much as we can and so that's why we started natural choice company and uh, this is where we are right now um getting back to ed and andy um they started the syndicate and i applied and i got um, i got in so uh, this is my third year in the syndicate. Last year, I had the honor and the privilege to serve as in the advisory board. And um, the, the name, the godfather name comes from the syndicate. The, so the folks in the, the syndicate, my, my, my family, the syndicate, uh, they call me the godfather. I can't remember how it got started or whatever, but uh, I love the, the name and hence the Godfather Chronicles. All right, so I'm going to leave you down. And um, look forward to continuing this conversation. I'm having a lot of fun. Please DM me your questions. I'd love to answer those questions um, in, in the podcast. You want to stay anonymous, that's fine. Uh, you could DM me at, in Instagram at magpatriot. Um, you could email me at miguel at godfatherchronicles.com. Or you could find me on Facebook at Miguel Godfather. All right, guys. Uh, love you. God bless you. Take care. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye.